Thank you guys so much. We love y'all. Appreciate you guys. Y'all always do such a good job. Um, if you're new here, welcome. Um, we do have a, a children's stampede that your kids can join if you want. I hear it's better back there than it is up here. I wouldn't know. I'm not allowed, but uh, the kids sure love Miss Heather and everybody who works back there, and they do such a great job. Um, so if you want to keep your kids with you, you can. If you want to, if you want to send them back, you're more than welcome to do that. We want to invite you guys to, um, to know that we have a deeper level of fellowship if you want it, um, that we have home groups throughout the week, and I guess some churches call them life groups or fellowship groups or whatever, what name you want to put on it, doesn't matter to me. Um, where we meet and we encourage one another and we go through um, what the Lord's doing in our life. And um, it's different every time. Sometimes we worship, sometimes we talk, sometimes but we always eat and, and, and fellowship together. And that's important. Um, it's biblical. And, um, you know, the first century church, they broke bread together daily. They gave themselves to prayer, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and uh, breaking bread and fellowship was, was part of the New Testament culture. Um, and so we do that, and we want to do that with you, and we always eat and, and just um, have a good time together and get to know one another more. If you're interested in that, um, we have several that go on throughout the week in different geographic locations. You can get with me or, or anybody in the back or, or um, somebody. You can get with somebody, and they'll help you out with that. Are we okay? If you're new, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, if you plan to get out at 12, you might just want to go ahead and go. I'm just being honest with you. I will, in Jesus' name, not lie to you. But um, I'm going to do my best. And everybody who knows me chuckles when I say that. If you want to um, turn to Ephesians chapter 6... A bit of preface here, we, um, we've been in this book for a while, and those of you who have been with me for a while know, I think, I mean, it's got to be getting close to a year now, maybe, I'm not sure, um, because we're going through the entire book verse by verse. Um, that takes a second. And how many times, how many of you guys know that when you read the Bible and you just speed read, you, you rarely get anything out of it? The Word of God is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. The Word is eternal. And the Word will be just as eternal as Jesus is. And the eternality of the Word takes time to unpack. And if you're not giving time to the Word, then you're not giving time to the availability of revelation in your heart. The Word of God has to be revealed. Otherwise, it's just a letter on a page. Do you know that it takes a person to reveal the word? Do you realize the word of God was with God in the beginning, before time was? Do you understand that the word of God was not known by man? And even in the old covenant, they didn't really know who he was. They only knew his laws. But it took a person to reveal the eternal word of God. And that was Jesus. 
It took a human being to reveal the word of God to another human being because we couldn't get it in its divine form because we had fallen so far away in our own dumb opinions of God. When Jesus shows up on the scene, the first thing out of his mouth in his ministerial capacity was repent. And this doesn't mean to come to the altar and weep and cry over your sins. What it means is, is that your head, my head, our collective head, our understanding in our brain does not have the understanding to be able to unpack God without creating a new way of thinking. In other words, what Jesus was saying is everything I'm about to teach you, you're not going to get unless you change how you think about who I am and who you are. Because what I've done and who I am, you've missed it for 6,000 years. You've improperly defined me for too long, and now I'm here to set the record straight of who I really am and what I require of your life. The word repentance means to change how you think. And I've met very few believers who've done that. How you know whether you've changed whether you're, the way you think or not is your susceptibility to evil. Because a person who's a true son of God does not ever entertain the right of unforgiveness. They cannot. If someone who claims to be a believer entertains any right of the flesh in their life to exercise or operate therein, they do not have a renewed mind. Because the mind of Christ has no capacity for unforgiveness. And so if you think unforgiveness is an option for you, you've already betrayed your identity. If you think you have the right to hold something over anyone, You already are proving to yourself that you do not have a renewed mind. And let me say this. The deception of the devil only has the ability to take its root in an unrenewed head. There is no sin that will come to your life, through your life, without first going through an unrenewed mind. If, it, if you find the sin in your hands and in your lifestyle and in your actions, it is a betrayal and an exposure to your reality of needing the mind of Christ in your life. Jesus has no ability for bitterness. He has no ability to consider or release wrath and violence in the flesh. He has no capacity for lust, greed, anger, division, gossip, lack of submission. He has a character that he placed inside of us. And if we don't live up to it, it will be our demise. The devil's plan is to create a Christianity without morality, without character. One that only has its base elements in a doctrine that can be repeated, but a lifestyle that cannot release it. And sadly, he has accomplished his plan in America. It's really quiet in here. If you think that your character and your day-to-day life has nothing to do with your faith, you're already deceived. If you can't live what you say you believe, then you better stop talking about what you think you believe. Amen. 
So we're going through chapter six, which is the culmination of, of, of the epistle of Paul, which I think is probably one of his most spirit-inspired geniuses of the New Testament. If you get Ephesians 6 in your life, you have the gospel. It doesn't mean the rest of it isn't important. I'm just saying that via Holy Spirit, Paul did a fabulous job at exhorting the church into its proper condition and how she's supposed to live. So we're in verse, uh, what are we, what is it, somewhere around 14, 15? Um, no, sorry. Back it up. Yep. About the wiles of the devil there, Jared. I'm sorry, I don't have it in my notes here. We're somewhere in there. There we go, 11. Oh, this, this verse has been brutalized in the church. It's been minimized, reduced down to an idea that this is a children's thing that we do in Sunday school. Like, you know, I want to put my helmet on and put my breastplate on every day and Put, take up my shield. I, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> you know how many people I know that say they do that every morning, they still act like the devil all day long. <laughs> Didn't work, did it? See, because putting on the armor of God is a nature. It's not a decision. You put on Christ, and when you put on Christ, the Bible says you are one with him. If you are one with him, you're supposed to already have the armor of God operating in your life. In other words, when you put the armor on is in the heat of the moment in which the devil attacks you. So if you're worried about your salvation, when he comes to you doubting your salvific reality in Jesus, and that's just a base element of attack. We'll get into differences of what that really means. In that moment is when you decide whether you really have your helmet on or not. Because if your mind is in the mind of Christ, your immediate response is, is you're a liar, you can go back to hell so I can go on with my day. If you have your shield of faith up, it's because... The, the arrows are not sticking into your life because they are coming and you are simply choosing the opposite of what the enemy's saying in your life. Does this make sense to you? So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. The verse previous, he says, be strong in the power of, his, of the Lord and the power of his might, right? It takes the strength of God to be able to wield the armor of God because the tricks of the enemy are extremely He's good at what he does. People say, oh, yeah, well, that's no power. He has no authority. He got a lot of power. He's deceived most of you. He's got you right where he wants you. He's got into your kids. 
He got into your marriage. See, our doctrine doesn't match our life, does it? See, if, 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 it's always somebody else's fault, though, right? It's never ours. I think that happened in Genesis 3. It wasn't Adam's fault. It was his wife. And it wasn't her fault. It was the snake. And the snake didn't have anybody else to blame, so... All right. I want to I go into the wiles of the devil. That word means the trickery of Satan. He's a con man. His only power is deception. But honestly, if there were any evil power that any evil person would ever want, it would be this one. Because with that, you can take everything from anybody at any time on whatever they possess. Therefore, as long as someone's willing to listen, you own everything they have. Because your ability to take from them far surpasses their wisdom to understand what you're taking. You don't have to own everything. You just have to be able to deceive the ones that do. The Bible says that you've been given all things in Christ, which means the devil specifically targets you, not because he thinks you're valuable, but because he, you have what he wants. And because the word has to come through flesh, so does the devil. The devil wants to be just like Jesus. And if Jesus uses flesh and bone to release his word, then so does who? So does the devil. So the bottom goal of all of life is whose, word, whose mouthpiece were you for the, the totality of your life? Whose image did you bear in this earth? This is why, and I'll get to it, but this is why in Matthew chapter 7, all these people who did all this ministry and all these demon-possessed uh, casting out and signs and wonders and miracles, we're talking about great men and women of the faith. Jesus looks at them and says, I don't know who you are. You bore an identity that didn't look like me your entire life. Your doctrine was true. My name has power whether you are with me or not. You used my name, you used my authority, but you looked nothing like me. People think salvation is just coming down to say a prayer and inviting Jesus into your heart. That's not even in the Bible. Show me the salvation prayer in the Bible. It's not there. It says you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again. It's not just a simplistic term of agreement. It's an identification that Paul elaborates on in the latter part of his epistles. He says, because you've died with Christ, so that you've raised with him. In other words, when you agree with that statement with your mouth and with your heart, you're supposed to have the authority and the responsibility to back it up with your life. And it's a choice that you make every day because you're in love, whether emotion is present or not. In Ephesians 4, 14, we already were there a month or two ago, maybe three months ago. You can turn there if you want. Paul alludes to chapter six before he gets there. He, if you, and actually, if you, like I said, if you go back and listen to this series, um, Ephesians series that we've done, 
you're gonna see Paul start to highlight and underscore certain things before he gets to them. It's almost like he's prepping your mind for where we're going because the final culmination of all of life is this battle between light and darkness, which is why we've gone through verse by verse, right? Because it takes chapter one, two, three, four, five to get to six. You can't start commanding principalities and wrestling with demons if you don't have the other five chapters down in your life. And if you don't know what's in those chapters, then it does you no good to sit there and try to fight the devil whenever you're fighting your family at home. Everybody wants to fight the devil, but nobody wants to make peace in their house. I don't know where we got the idea that your opinion matters. That my opinion matters. It doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. The only time my opinion matters is if it's scripture. And then it's technically not my opinion because I didn't come up with it. My life has been slowly trying to reduce my opinions of God and going straight back to what the word says. It's an American idea to think that you, you get the right to an opinion. It's not a kingdom idea. Somehow we think America is the kingdom. No, he'll destroy this one too. And there'll be one kingdom that's set up. And it will be a king who demands all of his people to live like kings and priests. Not selfish, soiled bottom Americans. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's warning us on the horizontal realm that there are people out there who basically work for Satan. Human cunning means the trickery of humans it means they're possessed by Lucifer speaking his word in a form of truth so that you will believe it. If you read this, we might think these are witches and warlocks. No, these people are in church. They're behind pulpits. They'll take you to coffee. They have damnable doctrines that don't believe in hell. Don't believe in any kind of recourse or or consequence to action. They, they believe that because they love one another, they can have sex outside of marriage and still go to the kingdom of heaven when the Bible says the exact opposite. You will go to hell as a quote-unquote believer if you're doing those things. Because your blood will not be on my hands in Jesus' name. I am going to reduce the amount of people on the final day of judgment who sit there and point their finger at me and say, you never told me. This tolerance-based idea of an Americanism is not what God, God isn't tolerant to you. He doesn't tolerate sin. That's why he sent his son to eradicate it. He hates it. God does not 
tolerate evil. I love it when I see people wear these shirts that say only God can judge me. I'm like, honey, you'd be better let me do it. Because his standards are a whole lot higher than mine. When we find people who are tossed back and forth, we're finding children. Children are people who are Christians. It doesn't matter what age. You can be 75 years old and be a child in the faith. Age does not mean maturity in the spirit. I've met a lot of carnal, stupid, 65, 75, 85-year-old people. And literally, it's blown my mind. I'm like, how did you get to be this old with that kind of character for so long that's so bad? How can you treat people like that? Haven't you, did you not even learn the basic decency of humanity, let alone the principles and the oracles of Christ? Paul says that we no longer be children, which is the idea that you get what you want when you want, and everybody's there to serve you. And when doctrines of devils come, they come with that kind of mentality that the gospel's about you. Now, the gospel's good news. It's always called the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of insert your name. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? That we have a king who loves us in spite of us, who's calling us into his realm and out of ours, not so that we can use him to excuse ours and use him as an excuse to justify ourselves. It's the good news that we are being released from ourselves and our opinions and our ideas to be brought into something higher and greater that we ultimately crave, but yet can't put our finger on. It's something that outdates us. It's something that pre outlasts us. It's bigger than us. And it's what our hearts crave. To belong to something greater than what we are. Everybody has that innate God-given thing inside of them. But the enemy wants to use his methods and his ways through the mouths of his people, through a religious devil, through a religious spirit, and opinions of men who have no lack of, of, of uh, they have no submission to God in their brains. Let me tell you, let me tell you guys something. There's a, there's, a, there's a danger of deception for every person who does not ultimately and aggressively renew their mind. And I, and I want to remind you that mind renewal is not something God does for you. You don't get your mind renewed because you come to church. You don't get your mind renewed because you read your Bible. You don't get your mind renewed because you just, st you're a Christian for 25 years. You get your mind renewed because you actively attack things in your head that are against God and you fight them until you develop new patterns of thought which come out in new patterns of life. You fight for that new character inside of you. Most people don't have any kingdom grit. As soon as it gets hard and difficult, they quit. Like going back to the stuff that they left is easier. I don't get that. People say, it's so hard. It's like, it wasn't hard before. At least now you have Jesus with you. Anybody that tells you that life is easy on either side is a liar. 
it's hard. It's, the last 25 years of my life have been so hard. The devils beat the snot out of me, but he didn't win. And it made me stronger because I didn't quit. And I didn't blame anybody else. So I want to say that the very nature of deception is hidden so that the deceived person cannot be convinced that they are the ones who are wrong. Listen, if you're deceived in this place, you won't know it. That puts all of us on the firing line, doesn't it? If you're deceived today, this morning here, listening to me online, if you're deceived, you will not know it because you're deceived. I've heard a pastor one time, it's always stuck with me. He said, nobody will ever come up to you and introduce themselves and say, hi, my name is Chad Wilt and I'm deceived. <laughs> Nobody's ever gonna do that to you. Because everybody does that which is right, what? In their own eyes. So how do you know if you're deceived or not? You won't. Somebody else will. So what's the difference between you believing your opinion versus somebody else? Relationship. Being actually communally close enough to someone that they can look at you and go, honey, I love you, but that thought's not from God. And I know you think it is. And if you don't develop that with a group or a body of people, you are in danger of deception. Your responsibility is to deal with the things you do know in your life. It's everybody else's responsibility in wisdom and time to deal with the things that you can't see. Don't we do that with our kids when we raise them? You should be doing it, Dad. Are you with me? So the methods of hell only have power and a human desire. So like God, the devil's never going to be able to get a hold of you unless you have a desire in your life that is against God. Every unsubmitted desire in your life carries the ability to be pregnant with deception. Every non-neutral place in your heart carries the ability for you to be deceived because if you have preference, the devil's gonna sniff it out. Jesus said, I don't do anything but what I see my father do. The words that I speak are from my father. The Bible says, everyone who names the name of Christ should live as Christ lived. If that's how Jesus lived and walked and taught and thought and, and spoke, then so should, should we. Are you following what I'm saying? So disappointments, hurts, wounds, all those things are lures that the enemy's trying to put into your life to deceive you. To make you think that you have a right to be angry, a right to be hurt, a right to play the victim card, a right for this, a right for that. Listen, if Jesus didn't have the right, then neither do you. And if you think you have the right, you're already deceived. Every person in here who has unforgiveness in their heart is already in deception. And you also have had a very blind, 
ability to see what your sin did to Jesus. Because whatever was done to you wasn't near as bad as what your sin did to him. Because he took every vile, horrible, nasty, disgusting, rebellious thing that you have ever done or thought into his sinless, pure body, the one who knew no sin, and it killed him. To hold somebody in unforgiveness is to hold deception near and dear to your heart. We have to understand that as believers, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. There's so many times when someone makes us mad, we, <laughs> we have no fruit. Why? Because we think we have the right to respond in how we feel. Congratulations, you've now been trapped by the enemy. That is a wile of the devil. It's a trick. It's a trap. That word in Greek literally means like, like a, uh, to set a snare along one's journey. It's a trap. And if you're an emotional-based person and you make all of your outreach and out, out, outsourcing of, you, who, of your actions in an emotional way, you're going to be stuck. I, I, people say, you know, they didn't have the right to do that to me. Actually, they did. Everybody has the right to do whatever they want. They're just going to be judged by it at the end. Was it wrong? Yes, but they have the right to do wrong. Jesus lets people have the right to do wrong because he's not a dictator. He's not a dictator. And I said, well, why doesn't he stop those people from doing it? Because he'd have to stop you from doing something you would want to do at some point because where does he draw the line? And then you're going to get really mad at him when he stops you from doing what you want to do. You just want him to stop everybody from doing something to you. And you want it to be a one-way street, and it, sh and it has to be a two-way street. Why hasn't God stopped the evil? Because he'd have to stop it in you. He'd have to stop every dumb thing you've ever done. And the dumb things that we did, we wanted to do. And then God doesn't become a loving father. He becomes a Hitler dictator. Who wants to follow that? Not me. So I want you to understand self-control is supposed to be a fruit of those who follow Jesus. If you say you're a follower of Messiah Jesus, you're supposed to exercise self-control in your life. But deception creeps in even through biblical terms. So I want you to understand this. Please follow me as we continue on with this. We're gonna shift gears and go to, go to a different section, but, but follow this. Deception only works if it's mostly true. And the devil tries to get as close to 100% as he possibly can. He's not gonna come to you with the things that you already know are evil, like drugs and alcohol and all that. That's, those are like the weakest demons on the planet. I'm serious. Those are the weakest demons on the planet because most of the time, the, the consequences of drugs and alcohol and premarital sex are done by you, not the demon. They're your choices against yourself. You become a wind-up toy for the devil. And you're just completely digging your own grave and making it easy on him. Those base elemental lusts 
are just you attacking your own self. And then you're blaming the devil on it. And it's like, no, this is just, Jesus says that these things come from within the heart of man. Every man's drawn away and tempted when he's drawn away from his own lust, his own lust. We like to blame it on all these devils. Oh, the devils are just, no, it's just, just your unfettered flesh that has gotten so strong that your emotions, and now they run your life. And you, you've just not learned to say no. But it's hard. It wasn't hard the first time. It was actually probably difficult. You probably went through some sort of little bit of a, a discrepancy in your life over it. I probably shouldn't be doing this, man. I, and then pretty soon you got to where you couldn't stop. The biggest deceiver, the biggest spirit of deception will always use the word of God, the Bible. And so many Christians disarm themselves when scripture is being read or talked about or used because it's the word. But do you realize that Lucifer himself, when he chose his weapon of choice to come against God himself, he used God's own word against him. That's some serious audacity. And if he's going to use the word of God against God himself, what makes you think he's not going to use the word against you? See, in Genesis chapter 3, we can go there, verse 1. To understand the tricks of the, of the devil, we got to go back to two places where he shows himself the most. Because evil can't be, evil can't be um, attacked unless it shows itself. This is why a wise person of war will not jump on things when they see it. They'll jump on it after it's revealed. Women, you need to take note on that because your intuition will show you things before it gets revealed. And if you step on it and try to attack it before it shows its head, you're going to want be the one that ends up getting blamed. You'll be the bad guy. It takes patience and wisdom to make war. So you let the enemy reveal himself and then you take his head off. But the enemy's track, his, his trap is to get you to see what he's doing so that you'll step out of the timing of God and address it before God's time is to address it and thereby you destroy everything God's trying to do. People think as soon as you see evil, it's supposed to be addressed. God watched evil for a long time before he sent his son. I see lots of evil in people when I meet them. I see lots. I just don't address it right away because it's not time. Many people are so arrogant and prideful and hurt and wounded and have so many walls. I got to figure out how to get over all those before they're going to listen to me on anything else. Isn't that right? Yeah, just try it. Go up to somebody on the street who you think is arrogant, walk up and tell them how arrogant they are. See how well it goes for you. But develop a relationship with that same person, spend some time with them, and then over wisdom and a degree of time, be like, look, bro, I, I just really think God wants you to know the power of humility in your life. See, that's wisdom. The, tra the, tr the trick of the, de of the devil is to get you to focus on what's wrong. The wisdom of God is to begin to birth and build what is right. Yes. 
why I love, and I love, I say love's kind of in a dumb way. They, these deliverance ministers always want to go after every demon they see. It's like, if you do that, you're never going to focus on Jesus because there's demons everywhere. They're all over the place. I look at some people's eyes and I see them. I'm like, oh, there you are. I see you. And the serpent had been more subtle above every beast of the field, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis, which Jehovah God had made. And he said to the woman, is it true that God had said, you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? Now listen to the approach. This, this dude is a freaking genius. Think of the flattery that's going on here. Like this guy is infinitely more intelligent than these people. He knows what God said. He was there. He knows exactly what God said. It's like if I walked up to you and I knew the answer, but I'm like, hey, I really don't know anything about this, but could you tell me about it? And I know I know more than you on the subject. And I'm just waiting for you to expose yourself so I can say, oh, but wait about this. And all of a sudden I shipwreck everything that you think you know. Here's why. The devil wanted Eve and Adam's sight off of God. In order to do that, he had to lure them into a conversation that would eventually lead to looking at what they were never supposed to touch. And if the devil can put your vision on what is wrong and what you don't have and what you're not supposed to touch or what's wrong in everybody else, then he's already got you in stage one of his plan. Did you hear what I just said? What you put your vision on is what you're going to pursue. So the devil knows that their eyes are not on that tree because they know they're supposed to not talk about it. They're not supposed to touch it. They're not supposed to do all these things. This was their mind. I know what God said, but their mind was, we can't even touch it. And so the devil's like, how do I get them to start looking at the thing I want them to consider? And he starts playing into their pride. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. We can eat of the trees of the garden. You're wrong. Oh, so now she's in this place of superiority and she's going to teach him what God said. He acts as though he doesn't know. He says, we can eat the trees. Verse three. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, don't eat it and don't touch it. He's got her. Now she's on the subject of the thing that he wants her to consider. It's in her mind. It's now in her vision, and he's showing it to her, and now she's looking at the thing she knows she's not supposed to do. The more you consider something in your mind, the stronger it's going to be, the harder it's going to be for you to say no to it in your actions. If you're constantly looking at the person who hurt you, they gain more and more power over you by your focus on them. It's true. And they're running your life and your mind and they're not even aware of it. And they don't care. And they're not even present. They're controlling your existence and they're not even in your geography. This is why forgiveness is so powerful because it releases the control they have over you to God. He says... We can eat, but not of this one. 
If we eat of this one, we'll die. I love this, this literal translation. I think that other translations get this wrong. Go to, go to the verse that you have. I'm not sure what translation you're in. Uh, next verse, four. The serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die. Okay, if you look in the original Hebrew, that word surely and that word die is the same word. In other words, it says, our modern rendition, I think, without going too far, you won't die, die. It was true. It was mostly true. They didn't die, die. They died a different way. Do you see how the trickery of hell used truth? When the devil comes to you, it's going to be in the form of truth. I, I, I knew a girl one time who literally split up a marriage because of the revelation that she was Esther and the man that she wanted, his wife, was Vashti and biblically she needed to be banished. You think that's impossible for you to get to a place like that? Do you know how she got there? Unchecked desire. Unchecked desire will lead you to find in Scripture what you want. It will lead you to find a word of God that is not in season for you. The word of God has to be in season, or else it's not the word of the Lord. Do you know that all of Scripture isn't the word of God for your moment? It's the word of God, but it's not the word of God for your moment. Do you know that when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was hungry, we're gonna go there here in a second, he was starving. Like I've done 40 day fasts, guys, rough. And he did it just with water. Like I had to cheat and went to juice and milk later on because I was dying. Like I've done it, it's rough. And this is, this Jesus is David's great, 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 great grandson. And the psalmist says, I've never seen the righteous suffer hunger or need bread. Is that the word of God? Is it the word of God? Is it in the Bible? Then why couldn't Jesus use that verse when he was hungry? Because it was out of his season. Wisdom literature, which is personified by Solomon and the Holy Spirit, says that there is a time and a season for everything. And if it's the season to pull up, if you're trying to plant, it will not work. If it's time to plant and you're pulling up, it will not work. 95%, if I were to guess, of most Christian frustration is because they don't understand the seasons and times of their life. And they're trying to apply the word of God to their season that they think is true, but is not true for them yet. If you're going through hardships and that's the season God has you in, you can try to be blessed all you want. You're just gonna be frustrated. And if you're going through blessing, you can try to suffer and it ain't gonna work because that's just not the season that God has you in. I love the story. I'm just gonna sidetrack a little bit to make the point. 
the story of Elijah and the widow. He goes to this widow and performs these miracles and lives with this woman. It's an amazing thing. She knows he's a prophet. She knows he's a man of God. She's, he's obviously proved it. He's speaking the word of the Lord. He's with her for a season. And then her son dies. And she comes to him all mad and complaining. It's just like the church, especially the pastoral leadership. I'll get off my soapbox now before I go on that one. <laughs> Do something about it. So he goes in there and raises the boy from the dead. You know what she says? Now I know that the word of God in your mouth is true. In other words, the word of God in some people's mouths is not. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, do you believe that the word of God was true in the mouth of the devil? Hmm? Because if he came to Jesus that way, how is he going to attack you? The same way. Do you want the devil speaking the word to you or do you want the Holy Spirit speaking the word to you? Yeah, see. He says, you're not going to die, die. Matthew chapter four. This is the, the session we're going to close in, this little segment here. What I want to condense here real quick for you is that the tricks of the enemy are always going to use truth in your life. A partial truth. They didn't have the right to do that. Well, in legality, they do, but in, in morality, they don't. You understand what I'm saying? Anger, bitterness, lust, greed, violence, those are all identities. They're not actions. I'm gonna say that again. All of the things of the flesh that are from hell, anger, lust, Greed, division, gossip, violence, fornication, uncleanness, all those things are identities. They're not actions. They're actions that will, that will lead you to an identity. They will transform your character. They will make you into their image if you stay in them long enough. If you stay in those types of things long enough, they will form you into being the very thing that you're acting upon. They will. That's why angry people only get angrier. Lustful people only get more lustful. Ted Bundy started with very, very soft pornography. If you don't know who he is, he's a bad guy. It formed him. Those decisions formed him. And if you're not careful, they'll form you too. They already have. Chapter four, verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The spirit of God takes the sons of God where the enemies of God reside. So we need to write that down because you're gonna ask a question later on in your life. Why is my life so hard following Jesus? I just gave you the answer. You want to follow Jesus? He's going to take you to his greatest enemy. Jesus in this capacity in Matthew chapter four was taking on the principality that ruled mankind. 
There's only two times in scripture where Lucifer presents himself in the earth. One is in Genesis chapter three. The other is in Matthew chapter four. And both occur in the presence of a son of God. Anybody thinks the devil's after you? No, the devil's after true sons. He's not after hypocrites. He's not after people like that. He already owns you. He doesn't strive for what he already owns. He wants what he doesn't. He wants the sons, the pure ones. That's both feminine and masculine. This was the restoration of all identity. You understand that when you step into sonship and you step into the identity that Christ has you and you step out of the identity of the trickery of the devil, which is the lust, the greed, the anger, the violence, the pride, the manipulation, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the, the woundedness, when you step out of those identities and you step into a sonship mentality and you begin to follow after God in a way that makes you like Christ, you will ring every freaking bell that hell has. And after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. In verse three, after this, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, speak to these stones and become bread. Let me tell you what, the, the first, listen, the first trick of the devil is to assault your identity. And some people think that's only this, that I'm not a son, that you hear this mess, you know, thing in your head, that you're not a Christian, you're not saved. That could be that. But that's not, the, that's not the main crux of what he's trying to do here. The assault of the identity of the believer is not in doubt of one's salvation per se. It's more in the seduction of taking on an identity that Christ did not take on. Acting in arrogance, acting in violence, acting in bitterness, acting in unforgiveness. Those things are operating as an identity in your life at that moment. And the devil loves it when the sons of God act like the sons of hell. It takes a long time to finally get enough self-control where people don't move you anymore. People always say, well, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think. Many times they really do. And how you know is, is that the actions of your life betray you. You get angry at somebody when they make fun of you. You, you feel hurt and abandoned and rejected when someone, you know, doesn't invite you. Do you think God ever feels any of those things? God is secure in his own identity. He's not, he's not insecure. God is not afraid of you. <laughs> he's not afraid of your opinion. He exists in the, in the solidarity of who he is. And he asks us to come into that identity, which is just as solid. In other words, when, I'm un, when someone hurts me, the, the access of, of this Matthew chapter four, where I'm facing off with Lucifer myself, as I look at him and say, the sons of God have no right to unforgiveness. Leave me. Does this make sense to you? I am not created for the identity of anger. I was created for the identity of my father. 
So it's not about doubting whether you're, you're saved or not, though for some people who are very immature, that might be the case. But for people who know they're saved, the devil's not gonna come to tell you anymore you're not saved. But what he will do is get you to operate in the spirit of apathy. Because Jesus never was apathetic about anything. And if you've allowed yourself to slip into apathy, you've taken on a subpar identity. And the Bible says, whoever you obey, that's whose servant you are. This is why so many people in Matthew chapter seven are gonna come to Jesus and say, we did all this stuff. He's like, I don't know you. You took on an identity that was not me. You performed my works without my character. And let me tell you this, you'll never know how spiritual you really are until you have an enemy. You'll never know how spiritual you really are until someone hurts you. You'll never know how spiritual, how Christ-like you really are until you're betrayed. You'll never know how deep your faith runs when the devil offers you ease and comfort and just this apathetic spirit and you stand up and fight because your love of God is worth everything to you. The wiles of the devil, the trick of the devil is to get you to challenge your own identity by adopting a different one into your, into your character. Those people who bounce around and divide churches and gossip and slander are literally the tongue of Satan himself. Do you realize how much the New Testament is given over to, the, to gossip? And yet how much the church actually gossips? Jesus does not have, did not have, never will have the right to gossip or to divide his own house. Yet we think because we see something wrong that we have that option. You're already deceived. To step into division and gossip in the house of God is to willingly step into deception. Willingly step into the trap of the devil. Your, your eternity is coming, sir. It's coming. The goal of the enemy is to get you to doubt who you are. And I don't mean as a Christian, I mean as a king and a priest. To doubt to not believe what God says about you. When you believe what God says about you, then you realize you don't have the right to what the enemy is saying about you. You don't have the right to the lie. You only have rights to the truth spoken by the mouth of the Holy Spirit. See, in, this, in, in Genesis chapter three, we see that they were already like God. And so he said that the devil's plan worked because he's like, you'll be like God. He's like, well, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be like God. The greatest deception of all mankind was actually to become like God, not to become like the devil. People wanted to be like Jesus. They wanted to be like God. They just used God's, the devil's ways to try to do it. So the same thing happens in Matthew chapter four. We're seeing a mirrored image between Adam and the second Adam. But Jesus answered and said, it's written, 
Not by bread alone does man live, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, of the Father. In other words, I live by the word of God that comes from God's mouth, not yours. That's what he's saying. Because the devil is constantly speaking to you, constantly speaking over you. And you and I need the power of discernment to know when the spirit is speaking the word versus the enemy. Because the enemy, when he, when he speaks a word, he pushes, he drives, and he oppresses with it. When God speaks a word, it requires patience. It requires trust. It requires obedience. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And this is where he comes and uses the word against him. In verse 6, he says, if you're a son, if you're a son, prove it. I don't have to prove my identity to anybody but Jesus. Not you, not the devil. Now, as I prove my identity to Jesus, you will see. You will see. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written in the word that he shall give charge his angels concerning you. And on his hands, they will bear you up that you might not dash your foot against a stone. The timing of heaven released here. The scriptures being released. And he says, no, this is not time for that. It's not time for me to do that. He's like, well, prove the word of God is real for you. Now, I have people all the time, even in a modern rendition, say, you know, like, well, if you're blessed, then God's going to bless your finances. That's, no, that's not true. <laughs> I look at people in the Bible who are the most blessed, and they're the ones we don't want to be. The woman who poured oil on his feet. The widow who threw everything she had in the offering plate and didn't justify why she didn't have to. These people have eternal marks. We know who they are because they were blessed. My Bible says, Matthew chapter five, which she referenced earlier, blessed are you when you're poor, when you mourn, when you're meek, when you're merciful, when you're persecuted, then you're blessed. In other words, the devil's trying to twist it and say, well, blessing is this and get you to fo focus on that and all this. No, blessing is what Jesus says it is, not what the devil says it is. He says, again, it's written, you won't tempt God. I don't have time to go into Deuteronomy 6, chapter 8, and what that, reply, that, that word is there. But basically, Jesus is saying, look, I'm with you. Like, I'm here. Because that, that whole thing goes back into where the Israelites were saying, is God with us or not? And God's like, Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. You're not going to tempt me. I'm your God. You're not my God. That's what he's telling himself. You're going to worship me. I'm not going to worship you. You will worship the Lord your God. Who's the devil's God? It's Jesus. <laughs> he's, he's ruler over everything. And the devil takes him to the high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the glory of the world and says, I'll give all this stuff to you if you bow down, bow down and worship me. The last temptation that's given here wasn't on identity anymore. And let me tell you something, guys. I, I know very few people in Christianity that have made their way from first and second temptation to the third. Most people never encounter the third temptation that Christ encountered. Most of them stay stuck in the first two, which is 
self-focus, feeding yourself, making your morality about you, your Christianity about you. You do this to feed yourself. God's got you in this difficult position, but you can do this and you can do that and you do that. It's about you. It's about your hunger. It's about your morality. It's about your vision. It's about your dreams. It's about your hopes, your plans. It's a trap set toward you. Most of Christians are right there and they fail over and over and over. It's about your feelings, it's about your pain, your agendas, who hurt you, who wounded you, who betrayed you, who, who abandoned you, who did this to you, and it's all right there, and the devil gets you to take on an identity that's not like Christ, an identity of victimhood that Jesus never took on. The second one is a little bit different. I don't have time to go into that. But the third one is this, to accomplish God's will, God's ways, God's will outside of God's ways. Was it God's will to, for Jesus to have all the kingdoms of the world? Isn't that why he came? I actually, he says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. I believe in my heart that when the devil showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world, he didn't just see generic flags waving. I believe the devil made, made Jesus look into the eyes of every person in every kingdom. And he showed them their torment, their suffering, their abandonment, their sorrow, their lost state, their hopelessness. He made Jesus look at every one of us and say, I'll give you all of them. You know how much you want them. You know why you're here. I own them. And it's amazing to me that Jesus didn't correct him. He didn't say, no, 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 my father owns these. He didn't correct him. Why? Because the devil comes with truth. He says, I'll give you what you came here for. If you just worship me. Let, me. let me let me break that word down. That word means a dog licking the hand of its master. Do you know how many Christians lick the hand of Satan every day of their life? Let me say it this way. Do you know how many Christians worship the devil every day? of their life. By taking on an identity that Jesus didn't take on. And Jesus said no to you so that he could say yes to you on the cross. He said, no, I'm not gonna do God's will your way. I'm going to do God's will, God's way. Very few believers get to this temptation because usually it requires them to be completely so selfless, selfless, that their whole life now becomes about the will of God. And now the journey is no longer evil and good. It's now good and best. Very few people get there. Because when you get to that level, good is the enemy of best. The devil was offering Jesus something good. But it wasn't best. Some could argue that's a modern idea of using tactics of the world to get people to come to church. I don't want people to come to church unless they love Jesus enough to be here. 
Some people come to this church because the worship team's so good. Some people come because they like my preaching. Other people come because they like Tyler's preaching. I want to know the people who come because they love Jesus. The tactics of the enemy are to use your opinion, your fallen head, your lusts, your dreams, your wants, and to get you to grab a hold of the word of God, mix up some sort of concoction, drink it, and then become self-deceived by your own mix. You better watch, you better guard, we better guard our ideas, our opinions, what we think we want, and everything we do should remain neutral before God, saying, Lord, you are the king of my life. Move me however you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, and I will go where you say to go. I will say and I will let go and I will do what you ask me to do. Because anytime we hold on to something we think we want, we're gonna, we're gonna, the devil's gonna use our head. So attach scripture to it and bring it out of context. I had somebody recently sit there and tell me how they think that one verse in the Bible gives them authority as a very young believer to rebuke every authority in, that they meet. That they can go around and just rebuke leadership. It's like, well, the context isn't even there. I don't even understand where, you know, you didn't read part A of the verse for sure. I'm not gonna tell you what verse. But they're deceived. They think that they can go around and just slash everybody who they disagree with. And they cause division and slander, but they're using the word of God to do it, and you can't convince them they're wrong. It is impossible. Because they think it's truth. Jesus doesn't do that that way. He doesn't do it that way. So I want you to understand, I don't have time to go into all of the, there's so many, I could go through the whole scripture on the wiles of the devil, every story, everything, every, every, every Joseph and David and Daniel and all these guys where the devil, Haman, Mordecai, all of them, where, where the devil used something to be able to snare somebody through a lust or a desire or a jealousy or, or an envy or slander or something where he got in and they took on an identity that actually disrupted chaotic events through the kingdom of God. And if you've been following us in the Ephesians series long enough to know, you know Paul has been hammering chapters 3, 4, and 5, the horizontal and treating each other right. Because within that, if we don't do that, then the identity of hell that he's offering us is actually exponentially uh, multiplied. Because people get offended. Do you realize you don't have the, the right to be offended? I don't know if you realize that or not. If you're offended... You're deceived. You're self-preferential. I've had a lot of things happen to me that I should have been offended by, and it didn't, it didn't offend me. I'm like, look, this is your, this your right. You want to treat me like that? You want to say that to me? That's between you and God. I don't have the right to put my two cents into it. It's not gonna change what I'm doing. It's not gonna change where I'm going. It's not gonna change my focus on Jesus because the enemy's desire is to get you to focus on the negative. Look at the tree, look at the tree, look at the tree, look at the evil, look at the knowledge, look at what they did wrong, look at what you did wrong, look at this, look at this, look at this. Why? Because if you look at it long enough, you'll eat it. And when you eat it, it'll change your identity. We were supposed to eat from the tree of life. 
But Christians think it's truth to go around eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, yet they don't have the ability to bring life. It's funny to me, these people who want to rebuke all the leadership on all these other things, their home is a wreck. Their marriage is a wreck. Their track record in God is absolute chaos, in and out of God, in and out of addiction, in and out of stupidity. And yet they think they have the right after a couple months clean to go through and rebuke everybody. It's not the nature of Christ. I want to end by repeating what I said earlier. If you're deceived in this room, you're not going to know it. So I have people in my life. You need people in your life. If you don't have people in your life and you're running around submitted to your own opinion, you'll never get any higher than what you, that you currently are. You are your standard. You've already met it. You're never going to grow. You've got to be around people who challenge you, even if it's in a negative way. I thank God for enemies in my life because, man, they have taught me so much. They've developed Christ in me. People who've betrayed me, hurt me, backstabbed me, talked about me, hurt my family, hurt my kids. In the gospel, I'm not talking about stupid things I've done. And they made, it made me more like Jesus because I refuse to be a victim to the devil's temptation. I refuse. with me put on the whole armor of God so that you can resist the tricks of Satan he wants your identity he wants your authority he wants your mouth he wants your emotions he wants your attitudes he wants to live through you when you attack your husband you are letting the devil portal through you. When you attack your wife, you're letting the enemy use you, and you're taking on an identity that is not Messiah, Jesus. The attack is always against identity. The choice is always identity. Who do I identify with? Pain or healing? Bitterness or forgiveness? Anger or patience. You choose what identity you want. And if you're a son, you have the ability to choose the identity of Christ. If you don't, you will be judged for it. You can stand with me. If you pray with me for yourself, if you agree, just follow along with me. Father, we, we ask your forgiveness for every identity that we have taken on that wasn't you. And we ask that you would help us as we renew our minds to understand we don't have the right to eat of an identity, to partake of an identity that is not of you. And though we may fail, Father, we were gonna, we're gonna rise again until we're completed. And we're gonna keep pushing, pressing forward for that high calling, that prize. I pray, Father, that you would begin to work on the hearts of the people in this place, that you would expose deception. I pray that people in this place would be willing enough to have relationships in their life. 
to challenge them. And that they would know it would be done in love. And Father, we would remove ourselves from the pinnacle that we've put ourselves on and know that we're able to be rebuked. We're able to be corrected. We're able to even be reproached if it's for your name's sake, Father. So I pray that those that are in this journey, that are in this place, Father, that they would know the word of God in the season of God. They would know the word by the Holy Spirit of truth. The religious spirit in their mind and their heart would be broken. And that, Father, that you would come, make your abode with, in, and upon them. We love you, Father. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and a blessing upon your people. Amen.